Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sailorville Church. My name's Jason. Really glad to be here with you. Welcome to summer in the great state of Iowa, where one day you're wearing shorts and t-shirts, and the next day you're pulling out all your winter clothes out of storage again, right? It's beautiful one minute, the next minute your trampoline is flying through the neighborhood like a giant weaponized frisbee. (laughs) This is Iowa. When my family moved here a few years ago, someone said, if you don't like the weather in Iowa, just wait a few minutes, it'll change, right? One thing that doesn't change, though, and something you can count on here at Sailorville is that we're going to seek the Lord here on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, every single week. And that means that when we sing and when we pray and when we preach and when we teach kids and teenagers and when we hang out with young adults and when we practice life and learning in our community groups and when we counsel and when we meet with women and when we meet with men and when we invite hundreds of children and their parents here to this building in just a couple weeks for vacation Bible school, we are going to do all those things because we want to make more people more like Jesus, right? We do that because we believe that's what God has called us to do, to bring him glory. And so if you've been with us at all over the last several months here on Sunday morning or watching online, you'll remember that we're taking our time kind of walking through some of the key moments in the life of Christ Jesus. Moments and stories, interactions, real events that happened in Jesus' life and ministry, not just fairy tales or made-up stories. These are real events, and we've been digging into the Bible as a primary source for these stories. After all, several books in the New Testament were written by men who lived with Jesus. They walked alongside of him. They ate with him. They laughed with him. They cried with him. They loved him as their friend, as their rabbi, as their teacher, and ultimately as their savior. And that's why it might seem a little surprising when we come to a passage like John chapter 16, for instance, where Jesus is surrounded by his closest friends, some of these disciples, and he tells them that he's preparing to leave them, that he needs to go back to his father, and that it's actually good news that he's going. Doesn't make much sense, maybe, to some of these disciples. In fact, he says in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. One Bible translator says it this way, it's better for you if I leave. Can you picture that? You're one of his disciples listening to Jesus say that. He looks at you and he says, hey, I've got good news. I'm actually leaving. (laughs) It's better for you if I'm gone. It sounds strange to us. And you might say as one of Jesus' followers, Jesus, I don't, I don't get it. How can anything be better than you being right here with me? I mean, Jesus, I've followed you now closely for three years, and I've been amazed by your teaching. You said things in ways and with authority that I'd never experienced before. And Jesus, I saw you heal people from horrible physical problems, leprosy and blindness, fevers, crippled legs, unstoppable bleeding. Jesus, I even watched you, remember, as you approached the tomb of Lazarus, one of your friends, Lord, who had been dead and buried. And Lord, I couldn't believe it when you called out to the tomb, Lazarus, come out. 
And it was even more amazing when Lazarus actually did walk out of that tomb alive and well. A little smelly, but alive. And so you think as one of Jesus' disciples, how in the world could it possibly be good news that Jesus is going to leave us? And that's the question we're going to ask this morning. Because now in our story, 40 days after his resurrection, this same Jesus in his physical resurrected body, surrounded by many of those same disciples, are gathered like they had so many times before on a hillside right outside Jerusalem. And there's an air of anticipation, like there always was when Jesus was around, but somehow it seemed heightened over these last 40 days since he rose from the dead. It was almost as if Jesus was getting ready for something big. And so right there in the middle of the crowd, Jesus stands up and he opens his mouth, begins speaking. All eyes are on him. And he says the words found in Acts chapter 1. Verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts and, and, and then the gospel of Luke. He puts it this way in the corresponding passage in his gospel, Luke chapter 24. Jesus says, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's the resurrection. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Hear that same language beginning from Jerusalem. And then you are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my father, that's the Holy Spirit, upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. See, Jesus was about to do something big. In fact, in just moments that follow these final words from Christ, something would happen that would change the course of history. It would change those gathered around Jesus that day on the Mount of Olives. It would alter the perspective of the human writers of the New Testament, and its repercussions reach you and reach me today. And whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, the event described in the next few verses has the potential to, listen, dramatically alter your life both now and for eternity. And so what is this event? We call it the ascension. The ascension. And it's one of the most important moments in all of history. Here it is. Read it with me in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. This is Jesus. And when he said these things, as the disciples were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, probably angels. And these men, these angels said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In his gospel, Dr. Luke simply, simply says it this way in Luke chapter 24, and Jesus led them, the disciples, out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. That's one of the most important events in all of history, the ascension. 
but it's described in just five short verses in the New Testament. But these verses are packed with activity and meaning and incredible theology. And so we're going to do some Bible study here this morning, okay? We're going to start off by making some observations as we get going, which is a really good way to start Bible study. And we're just going to see what's there before we start to jump into figuring out what it means and what we should do about it. So let's follow the story here very quickly. We're with Jesus, several of his disciples, and they're gathered on the Mount of Olives near Bethany, the city of Bethany, right outside Jerusalem. And Jesus commissions them as witnesses to the ends of the earth. We heard about this last week and the week before from Pastor Pat. We call it the Great Commission, right? And Jesus tells his disciples that they've got work to do. First, they're in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and then to the rest of the world. Jesus says, it's your job to make disciples by going into every tribe and every nation, every people group, every ethne, every language. The pastor reminded us last week that the last command of Jesus must become the first priority of the church, Right? And then after giving these marching orders, Jesus lifts up his hands to bless his disciples, his friends that were gathered around him. We've seen Jesus do things like this before. It's pretty common for spiritual leaders, teachers, rabbis to vis visibly cover their people with their prayers. We even do that from time to time here at Sailorville when we pray corporately. Now watch this. As Jesus is blessing them, he begins to rise from the earth. Physically, his actual body. It's not an illusion. It's not some kind of magic trick. Visibly, the disciples actually watch him as he leaves them. Unlike the resurrection, which no one saw as it was happening, the disciples actually saw Jesus ascend into the sky. And then a cloud surrounds him and takes him from earth to heaven. And he's gone. He's gone. And the disciples are left staring up into the skies and two angels show up and say, hey, what are you guys still looking at? And Dr. Luke tells us they snap out of it and they head back to Jerusalem and they have a great big worship service with a bunch of the other followers of Jesus. And so this ascension, the taking up of Jesus' physical body into the clouds 40 days after the resurrection, it seems like a pretty big deal in Jesus' life and ministry. And so maybe it should be a pretty big deal for people who call themselves Jesus' followers like some of us here this morning. But to me, it seems like the ascension doesn't get a lot of airtime today, does it? In fact, earlier this week, Meredith asked me a really good question. She does this all the time. She said, Hey, what is it about this passage that you're studying to preach on Sunday? What is it about the passage that excites you? That's a good question. And I had some kind of like big picture pastor type answer, right? But nothing real concrete. Nothing that seemed to really make a difference for today, you know? It wasn't that I denied the fact of the resurrection or that I was ignoring it. I just hadn't really thought much about the way this one event actually impacts the world and this church and then my life personally. Maybe you're there this morning. And so it got me thinking, why is that? Why don't I think more about the ascension? 
Why don't we talk more about it? Why is it that I can't remember ever preaching on it or hearing a specific sermon on it? And so when I started studying and trying to find commentaries and other resources on these passages, it became pretty clear that I'm not the only one because there are just, uh, just not a lot out there about Christ's ascension and its impact and implications. In fact, one author I read, Patrick Schreiner, calls the ascension forgotten, neglected, and overlooked. But watch what he says about it. Without the ascension, Schreiner says, Christ's work is incomplete. Without the ascension, a huge hole stands open in the story. Without the ascension, other doctrines become skewed or out of line or fuzzy or they don't make sense. And so this morning, I'm going to try to help us understand what I've been convinced of over these last few days, that the ascension of Jesus Christ really is good news. And it's one of the most important events in the history of the world, and it's got life-changing implications for each one of us. But first, if the ascension is really such an important part of Jesus' life and ministry, why, why has it been so overlooked. As I process that in my own thinking over the last few days, here's what I came up with, and maybe you can relate to one of these. I think we have a tendency to forget about the ascension for at least three reasons. First, and we've already touched on this a little bit, the Bible barely mentions the ascension account. It barely mentions the actual event. And so if you're looking for a long description of what happened at the ascension, you won't find it in the Bible. Dr. Luke is the only one that narrates the actual event, and it's covered in, guess how many? Five verses total in the entire Bible. That's 0.02 verses compared to the rest of Scripture. If you read through to the end of all four Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find Matthew, Mark, and John ending. You close those Gospels with Jesus still on the earth. There's no mention of Jesus ascending. Even the Apostle Paul, in his list of what's important and foundational to gospel truth that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, even that doesn't even include anything about Jesus leaving earth. So why in the world should we focus on an event that seems like biblical authors don't really care much about it? Don't walk out yet. There are reasons, and I think good reasons, and we'll get to those in a couple minutes. First of all, the Bible seems to barely mention the ascension. Second, we tend to forget about the ascension because it just seems like a bad plan. It just seems like a bad plan. Think about it. If you and I were coming up with a strategy for how to spread the news about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who had just died, was buried, was resurrected, and is now walking around on the earth, if we were trying to figure out a way for more people to believe that that actually happened, then wouldn't it be easier to convince people if the Messiah was still physically there in front of them? Hey, he's right here. Believe it. It doesn't make much more sense for people to, to see, it would make much more sense for people to be able to see Jesus and to hang out with him, right? Right there in front of them. Maybe as you're trying to introduce somebody to Jesus, you might say, hey, I've got this friend I want you to meet. And he says, oh, nice, I'd love to meet him. And he says, well, where is he? And you have to say, well, he disappeared a couple days ago. Well, where'd he go? Let's, let's just go meet him. I'd love to meet him. Well, he went somewhere that we can't go right now, right? But I can take you to the last place I saw him. I mean, trust me, he was here. He really was here. It doesn't seem like a great plan, does it? 
to take the miracle-working, evidence-providing, hope-giving, prophecy-fulfilling Messiah off the scene at such a critical time, it's sort of like benching your star player in the final seconds of the championship. It just seems like a bad strategy. It seems so to us, maybe. And third, and this might just be me, but follow my imagination here for a second. The whole event seems just a little strange. The whole event just seems a little weird. Jesus is 33 years old at this point. He's at the top of his game. I mean, 40 days ago, he actually walked out of a grave. How much cooler does it get than that? And he takes his closest friends up to the top of a mountain just outside Jerusalem, and he talks to them for a few minutes, and then suddenly, as they're watching him, he starts levitating. And then he's floating. He's really floating in the air, and, and they're watching him. First a few inches, and then a couple feet off the ground. I mean, there he goes. It's like he's being hoisted up into the air by some kind of system off stage, right? Like, there he goes. And I don't know, I picture him either going slow or fast. We're not sure. I mean, how quickly was that? If it's fast, I mean, he is flying up there. His robes are all over the place. His long hair is just going crazy. His beard is up in his face. I mean, if he's going fast, it's just like that. Bang, just like that. But if it's slow, that's even a little more awkward to me, right? I mean, you're watching somebody rise up into the air for miles and miles and miles. And how long do we have to watch him go? Jesus, is it time to stop looking at you now? Peter, are you still watching? Because if you're still looking, I'll still look, you know. And there he's gone. He's gone. It just seems like a strange scene. Sometimes we skip right over the ascension. We love the resurrection. And we can't wait for Jesus to return one day. But why does the ascension hardly even get a nod in most of our lives? Maybe it seems like a like the Bible doesn't pay much attention to it. Or maybe it just seems like a bad plan, or maybe because we think the whole event just seems a little abnormal. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's time to give more attention to the ascension. In fact, I almost titled this message, How to Cure Ascension Deficit Disorder. But I thought someone might mishear me <laughs> and come up afterwards and tell me there's already an essential oil that cures that. So why is it good news that Jesus is gone? Why in the world is it possible that this is good news? Here's why. We're going to get a little theological here, okay? So take out your number two pencils and your notebooks, and we're going to class with Jesus for just a few minutes. Reason number one, why it's good news that Jesus is gone, because one, Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to arrive. Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to arrive. This is at the heart of the good news of the ascension. Jesus said it himself. Remember in John chapter 16, on the night before he would be crucified, when he told his disciples, we read it earlier, it's to your advantage that I go away. But why, Jesus? How is this good news? Why is it better? Jesus answers that in the rest of this passage. Here it is. For if I do not go away, Jesus says to his disciples, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I do, I will send him to you. It's good news because I go 
Because the Holy Spirit is going to come. How could it possibly be better for Jesus' disciples and for us today that Jesus isn't walking around and instead we have the Holy Spirit? How is that better? Listen, if you're a parent and you've got kids or you remember being a kid, you're familiar with the whole babysitting routine, right? So parents want to go out, and so they call a teenage girl to come over to the house and babysit. And so right before the parents leave, you make sure everybody knows where you're going to be and what time you're going to come back and what your cell phone number is and all that sort of stuff. Who's got gluten allergies? Who can't swim? Which shows we're not allowed to watch on Disney Plus because it's becoming the subtle mouthpiece of the liberal agenda? And then the parents look at the kids and say, okay, kids, have fun. And what I've noticed, I don't know about you, but what I've noticed is that there's two kinds of kids in that moment. One kid doesn't want dad and mom to leave. And he can't imagine a possible scenario where it's actually going to be more fun for him when dad and mom are gone. And so he's holding on to dad's leg, right? And he starts screaming, I love you, dad. Don't leave me with this stranger and her cell phone. Please don't go. And then there's the other type of kid, and you can't even find him when it's time to leave because he's already downstairs playing and tearing things off the wall and shooting the cat with Nerf darts. You know it's true. By the way, parents of high school graduates, this exact scenario is going to be played out in just a couple months as some of you drop your freshman college students off on campuses all over the place. I'm just saying, some of your kids are going to be in tears when you leave. And then others are already going to be throwing a Frisbee on the quad before you even get into the car. I'm just saying, there's two types, I guarantee it. And so here's the disciples, and Jesus says, guys, I, I love you. I love you. And I know it might not make much sense, and you probably don't understand it, but it's better if I leave. It's good news that I go, because if I don't, catch this, you won't get the Holy Spirit. Wow. Why in the world is the Holy Spirit better? Now think about this with me, okay? Because as a man on earth, watch this, Jesus limited himself to time and space. Jesus could only be in one place at a time while he was on earth, just like you and me. So while it would be amazing to have Jesus physically here with us right now, wouldn't it be amazing? I would just hug him. I'm a hugger. Most hugs last for like two or three seconds. I'm like a 10-second guy. I would just hold on to Jesus, like pull him close. Wouldn't that be amazing to be able to hold on to Jesus right now? But watch this, friends. If Jesus were here with us physically right now, then he wouldn't be able to be up in Huxley with our friends at Ballard Creek Church at this moment. If Jesus were here at Sailorville right now, then he wouldn't be able to be with our missionaries, Tyler and Kat Betts, who are serving in France at this moment. If Jesus were right here in front of us, then he couldn't be with a dear couple in our church who are right now watching from home as they have for the last two years because the wife has been diagnosed with some kind of rare autoimmune disorder and the doctors, doctors have told them, you dare not leave your house. For two years. And if Jesus were here in this room, then he wouldn't be able to be there in their room with them, comforting them, encouraging them, and holding that precious couple this morning. Do you get that? When Jesus left the earth, he didn't leave us alone, though. He gave us the Holy Spirit. 
And because the Holy Spirit isn't bound by time and space, he can be with you no matter where you are this morning. Oh, that's amazing. So friend, if you're a child of God today, the ascension means that you're not alone. Whether you're in the car right now, watching online at home, you're sick in bed, you're at work, you're laying in a hospital room, or you're just sitting in one of these seats here this morning, God is with you through the presence of the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. No matter where you are in the universe, you can have comfort right now because of the Holy Spirit. And that has to be good news for you. Why is it good news that Jesus is gone? It seems strange to us to think about, but here it is, because his departure brings the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is good news. Here's another reason. Jesus had to leave so he could reign as king. Jesus had to leave so he could reign as king. Jesus' ascension establishes Jesus as the reigning king over everything. Right now. The Apostle Paul, looking backward on the ascension when he wrote to the believers in Ephesus, said that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave in the resurrection was also at work in the moments right after the ascension. Paul says that this same power, this is the power in Ephesians chapter 1, that he, God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and watch this, seated him at his right hand in the what? heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then he, God the Father, put all things under his, Jesus' feet. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead in the resurrection, catch this, sat him at God's right hand. And what is Jesus doing there right now? He's ruling and reigning as king over everything. That's good news. The ascension is the inauguration of Christ's rule. It's his coronation. It's the moment when Jesus takes his place next to his father as king with authority to rule and reign over everything. Well, not my stuff, you say. I mean, he can't control my stuff. I've got that covered. Or there's these things in my life that I'm always anxious about and always concerned about, and I'd like to keep those things to myself. Jesus can't handle that. Really? Jesus is right now king over everything. He's over all powers, all diseases, all disability. He's over all nature. That's weather. Hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, and yes, global warming. Jesus is over the economy and healthcare, sports and elections, inventions, the media, the stock market. Jesus is over military might and governments and presidents and universities. The ascended Jesus right now is ruling over DHS and your local school district. Jesus is over Democrats and Republicans. He's over Elon Musk and Vladimir Putin. Jesus is reigning right now as king over cancer, over COVID and the common cold, and he's reigning and ruling over monkeypox, whatever that is. Right now he's king. Jesus is king and he's reigning. Why is he reigning? Because he's not here anymore. 
His departure from earth marked his arrival in the throne room of heaven. And friends, I would rather have him there than anywhere else in the universe right now. You're starting to see it? Why it's good news that the ascension happened? Here's another reason. Jesus had to leave for the gospel to spread. Jesus had to leave in order for the gospel to spread. It seems like a bad plan. It seems like a terrible evangelism strategy, doesn't it? To, make the sa- to take the Savior away from the ones that need saving. On the one hand, it doesn't make much sense. Why in the world would God take the hope of the world out of the world? How could it possibly be good news that the one at the very center of the gospel would disappear? I mean, how much easier would it be for us today to make more people more like Jesus if Jesus were actually here physically? That would answer a whole bunch of questions. WWJD, just ask him. He's right here. Here we are on earth telling people, trying to witness to people all about the ascended Jesus when we could just be sitting back and introducing people to the physical resurrected Jesus right there in front of them. How much easier would that be? You can picture it. You want to know Jesus? You're talking to a friend. There he is. He's right over there. Go ask him about himself. You want to ask him a question? Check it out. He's got an answer. He's right here. He's got a YouTube channel. He's on Facebook. Check him out. Hey, Jesus, these people over here don't want to believe in you, and I could really use an assist, so could you come over here right now and turn some water into wine or something so they believe, provide some evidence? I mean, honestly, if Jesus were still here on earth physically, how much easier would that be for me? I could just sit back and watch him do everything. You see it, right? If Jesus were right here, right now, we'd be tempted to slack off, wouldn't we? We'd be tempted to stay instead of go into all the world and make disciples. Because it doesn't take much faith to believe in a Jesus that's right in front of you. This is why Thomas the disciple struggled. He couldn't completely buy into the story of the resurrection until he saw the physical body of Jesus with his own two eyes. And when Thomas says, Lord, I see you, and now I believe, Jesus tells him in response in John chapter 20, have you believed because you've seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they still believe. I think that's what it would be like if Jesus were here right now. I would just sit back and say, hey, if you want to believe in Jesus, you don't really need to have faith at all. He's going to be at Sailorville Church preaching tomorrow. Just show up and see him with your own eyes. Faith is way too hard and mysterious. All you need to do is just see him to believe in him. But watch this. Jesus says, Real faith is when you believe in me and what I can do, even if you haven't seen me. And that's how the gospel spread from that ascension moment and how it's still spreading today. When the disciples were staring up into space after Jesus was taken up into the cloud and the angels show up next to them, what did they say, remember? They said, "Uh, guys, what are you still doing standing here gazing up into heaven? Jesus literally just finished telling you there's work to be done. Here you are gaping up at the sky when there are people who need to hear this story, people who need to see your changed lives because of this man, people who need to believe by faith that he is the savior of the world. 
And so Jesus passes along his authority to these disciples and to us. And in the coming days in our story, he gives them the power of the Holy Spirit. And yes, he allows them to be persecuted so that the gospel would be spread. Why? Because Jesus knew that if he were still on earth, it wouldn't take much faith to believe in him at all. You catch that? And so, friend, one of the benefits of Jesus' departure is that you and I get to do the work of evangelism, that we get to call people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, like we do here at this church every single Sunday morning. We get to call those of you who don't know Jesus to a thriving, loving, growing knowledge and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, not as one that you have seen, since that doesn't take much faith at all, but as one who is un seen and yet is still at work. And when you're sharing Jesus with your friends, you might say, what in the world will happen if I mess up? What if I don't know all the exact right words? What if I get asked a hard question and I really flub it? What if I'm scared? I would say to you, you're in good company. Because even the Apostle Paul acknowledges this. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, my speech my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but what? In the power of God. Why is the ascension good news for you and me and for everybody who doesn't yet know Jesus? Because Jesus' departure caused the gospel to spread, and it's still spreading today. Amen? One more for this morning. And then we'll wrap up. Jesus had to leave so he could return. Jesus had to leave so he could return. It's profound, right? You have to leave first if you ever want to come back. You have to say goodbye if you want to say hello again. Jesus had to ascend so that one day he could descend again. The angels say it on the Mount of Olives. Remember, here it is in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They say this same Jesus in physical, visible, bodily form will come back in the clouds and he will finally set up his kingdom here on earth. Not the political kingdom that the disciples were looking for, but a divine and eternal kingdom. Watch this. Bad times will be over for good for God's children. The darkness will lift. And as one writer puts it, I love this, everything sad will at last come untrue. Every so often while we're singing here on Sunday mornings, as a family, I look around at some of you while you're singing. I know it sounds creepy. <laughs> I hope you do the same thing, actually. Because here's what I've noticed. When we sing songs about Jesus coming back or about Jesus preparing a place for us or about our eternal future with the Lamb of God as Christians, every once in a while I see some of you crying, especially some of you that are a little bit older. And I know why you're crying, because I've asked a bunch of you. Here's why. It's because you can't wait to be with Jesus. You can't wait to fall into his arms. You can't wait to sit with him, to touch him. You can't wait to never have to leave him. 
You're living in that bittersweet moment of missing someone until they return. I love that. We need more of that. It's really good news that Jesus is gone. His physical absence is better for us than his physical presence with us. He had to leave so that we could long for him to return. The ascension. It's one of the most important events in all of history. This Thursday, 40 days after we celebrate Easter, which is a huge deal for us, the ascension will be celebrated by Christ followers and by churches all around the world. Remember why it's good news that Jesus is gone. Why is it good news? Jesus had to leave for the Holy Spirit to arrive. You and I have a comforter. We have a comforter. No matter where you are in the universe, you have the Holy Spirit. If you are a child of God, you have a comforter. Jesus had to leave so he could reign as king. You and I can get off the throne and stop fighting Jesus for control. He's reigning. He's ruling right now. Let him take his place on the throne of your life. Jesus had to leave for the gospel to spread. You and I have got work to do, and we've got the power and authority to do that work. Let's go and make disciples. And then Jesus had to leave so that he could come back. He had to leave so that he could come back. You and I have something. We've got someone to long for, to look forward to, the return of the one our hearts yearn for. Father God, thank you for the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to be born at a time that we celebrate at Christmas, to live a perfect sinless life, to die a sacrificial substitutionary death on the cross for us, for our sins, and to be buried and, yes, to be resurrected, really resurrected, physically, bodily, visibly, to be resurrected, having victory, over, the, over sin and over the grave. And then, Lord, help us not to forget that he ascended, ushering in a whole new set of blessings that we get from you and from Christ and from the Holy Spirit. Help us to see that it's really good news that he's gone, to tell other people about that good news and to live in light of his return one day. It's in the ascended Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we worship that Savior.